0: Welcome to Hippo Brain. Here is where we have hippo-sized conversations with hippo-sized brains, and uh, this is yet another edition in which I'm very excited because this is happening across continents, across the globe. It is crazy early in Bombay, and I will leave it up to Rajesh. Rajesh, take it up from here.
1: Hi, everyone. Today we have Amrish Gupta. Amrish is in the US, and Uh, We're looking forward to a great conversation with him. So I met Amrish about a year and a half ago. I had invested many years ago in his company, Nolarity, uh, but we never met until 25th Jan, 2019. And I can say the last one and a half years, we've had many, many conversations. Every conversation with him has been an incredibly great learning experience for me. He's opened my eyes to a whole new world in the uh, in the space of, sort of B2B SaaS and software and how to go about building uh, businesses. Amrish uh, is from ID Kanpur, then did an MBA at CMU, worked at McKinsey for a few years, came back to India, started Nolarity, which has grown to be uh, one of the most successful cloud telephony companies. And then uh, started on a new journey, which we'll discuss in detail. He now runs a fund, uh, $50 million fund basis vectors some incredible theses which has gone um, in building out that fund. But we'll get to that later. Samrish, welcome. I think a great place to start would be your Nolarity journey. Uh, what made you quit McKinsey, come back to India and uh, become an entrepreneur?
0: Um,
2: number one, thanks Rajesh uh, for the compliment. You know, you're, every time I talk with you, um, uh, the, the he's such an accomplished person and so so humble. Um, you know, it's just I become speechless. You know, I don't even every time Ajay uh, is um, uh, throwing compliments at me. You know, I'm just speechless. I don't, I don't even, I don't know what to say. So I will not say anything about you know opening the eyes. I think you have been um, amazing thought partners um, as Basis Vector is getting built, and thanks for being part of it as well. Um, coming to Nolarity, um. Let let me take like a few steps back and you know uh, you understand not only why Nulerti started, why uh, you would understand why any company started by me. Um, so um, I uh, grew up in Kanpur, a small city of Kanpur um, in UP, went to IIT Kanpur. Um, I was the first person in my family um, to not do business. Uh, I didn't want to do business. Um, I actually wanted to be a scientist and um, uh, a very interested in physics in general, um, uh, especially um, everything around um, the atomic research, you know, all those things even had some stint with Bhabha Atomic Research Center as well uh, when I was in IIT. So very excited about physics in general and, and I found business to be not intellectual. Um, it was not intellectually exciting. Um, and uh, my, I remember my family uh, there is a, a hindi saying uttam vidya madhyam dhan nich chakri bhiknidan which basically means that if you want the best thing to do is to get knowledge um, um then second is business third is you know being servant and uh, and doing a job and fourth is you know the, the second the, the is is, is begging uh, and my 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 family would say, you know, why would you want to not do business and you know become a scientist, and do a job somewhere? And you know, it's, for me, it was um, just just intellectual excited excitement of doing something something new and something exciting. And that's how I ended up being an I.D.A. and almost uh, went for a PhD as well. But I think one thing that kind of slowly started moving me back to business was number one in academia, I saw that whatever I was doing was not getting implemented. You know, you basically do research and it basically gets lost. Um, so IIT Kanpur, you know, has amazing uh, campus, you know, all the facilities available, you know, amazing technologies available in, in, inside, but you go to Nankari, which is a small um, uh, uh, village outside and there's nothing there. And, you know, it, I felt it was intellectually, I wouldn't say dishonest, but it's it pinched me, like why I'm doing all the research when there's like literally like very simple things I could do um, in, in next next to IIT Kanpur and that could make a real impact, you know, why we are doing, why, why are learning all these things if there's no impact of it? It's just, uh, it's a waste of time. So I think that that was always there because of which I didn't go for a PhD and I ended up taking up a job, traveling on the world. I lived in Germany, Australia as a researcher, uh, work as a researcher in then Valley. Um, Um, post that I had a small estate. I came back to Bangalore to start a company as well, which failed very quickly. I (laughs) think the idea was great. I was trying to do something very similar to housing.com, which is, you know, apartment video on internet in 2004. It was before Magic Bricks. So idea was correct, but I couldn't execute it. Um, And I think that was really great experience for me, uh, 2003, 2005, just to realize how little idea and the product matter you know, the business building is altogether a different thing. Um, I Here I was IIT, Kanpur Computer Science graduate, you know, I work in Valley, work in three different countries, could really sleep in the code and build up a product. Um, but when I went around trying to sell my product to brokers in Bangalore, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 you basically come to know, you know, what business is. It just didn't work. It didn't even take off. Um, I burned all my money. um I had forty thousand dollars. I remember I had uh, one thousand five hundred dollars left uh, by end of two thousand five. My wife bailed me out and, <laughs> and brought me back. i was sick um, uh, uh, by by that time living in you know i used to live in delhi um in um, i lived in a hotel which is for four hundred rupees um per day a hotel and it was a very cheap hotel and uh, i had um I'd done a deal with a cyber cafe downstairs uh, to let me sit there all day for like 50 rupees. So this is what this is my life, like, you know, in the hotel and then, you know, eat somewhere and then, then, and then um, then work in the cyber cafe. So I did that quite a bit of time, but then I realized that, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for starting a company um, and I went back to us and I thought, you know, if not start a company, maybe I'll become a VC. I think, you know, I was meeting a lot of VC and I said, this is a cool job because you don't really have to do, you're just betting on other people. It's a, it's a, it's a portfolio of um, uh, uh, your, your risk is diversified and, and you reach there. And then you're still working with the new innovative stuff, which actually has where technology is being used to implement something, do something in real life. So I always been excited about you know, what do I know and how do I make an impact in the world um, uh, based on what I know? Um, how can I be useful for the world? And that has just been very strong driving factor for me. Um, so VC looked to me like the right balance between not have a miserable life, um, uh, at the same time, you know, do what I liked. So with that idea, went, went back to US, um, went to CMU, Carnegie Mellon University for my MBA. Um, and then slowly VC changed into PE. So you know, if the point was, you know, if it is going to be, you know, putting money, why not, why put a small money of a couple of million dollars, why not put hundreds of million dollars of big money, so you have bigger impact. Um, so with that idea, I went to McKinsey and Company. Typically, people come out of McKinsey and and go to P. Uh, so this was like 2005, 2007. You know, Mc McKin- McK- uh, CMU and then 2007, 2009, McKinsey. I suppose McKinsey. My idea was to go um, and join private equity, but you know, we all know how what happened with the banking sector and banking sector collapsed. Um, uh, the 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 really the thought process for me was at that time that um, number one, in McKinsey, I saw a lot of companies from inside out and I made a lot of money as well. Um, the, the, the situations for large companies inside out is not very good, it's, really, it's quite terrible. And I think that gave me boost of confidence. Um, you know, failing a startup early in your career just kind of really saps your confidence or your life energy and everything. But you know, seeing the companies from inside, i realize it's so bad i can not be this bad i mean it's the competition is not so good people are running such a large companies with like the data is all over the data is, and it's just it's running right it's just uh, the business is running i it's, i think it just gave me a big boost of confidence that you know the world is i can do something and second um, the banking sector had collapsed so my um the thought process was you know how how about i start a company uh, again and 90% chance it will fail, right? Because statistically, that's what happens. Um, so I can come back with an operating experience to a PE firm right? um, and, um, you know, now not only have academic experience, which is MBA and, and McKinsey, you know, I work with uh, many of these, uh, these projects, which, which was transformation of the large, large companies, but also have some bit of entrepreneurial experience. So I know how it kind of all comes together. I had not planned, for what will happen if it is successful. So I only had planned for for it to fail. Um, However, but I thought this was 90% chance this is what is going to happen most probably. And I had experience for that as well. it's a failing in startup. The second was um, that what do I do now that I've started, decided to start a company, what do I do to massively minimize the risk of, um, the company failing? Um, so my first company was consumer company. Um, the second uh, was B2B. And the reason it was B2B is B2B is boring. And B2B, you ask money right upfront um, to the customer, from the customers. And one, you know, I think the big thing about um, working with the people is that if you ask them money, they'll tell you, you know, what they think of your product. Um, they, 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 if you give them free, they, they'll say you're doing a great job. But if you say, give me a lakh rupees, you know, $100,000 or you know, $10,000. They'll tell you that it's not good. <laughs> it's worth only $1,000. So uh, I said, you know, how do I minimize the risk? You know, product market fit. Um, uh, I said, I'll do a B2B company. Um, the second telecom was doing very well um, in India. It was going through 100% growth rate. Um, so it's some doing something, you know, I understood in McKinsey that if you kind of be in the right market, the chances, even if you fail, you're worth something. Um, so I chose very intelligently emerging market. Emerging market was 2009, had it started contributing more than 50% of the world growth. So I chose emerging market. And that's, my, that's the reason I moved from New York to New Delhi. Um, the second telecom, which was going through 100% growth. So I decided to do something in telecom. Number three, B2B, which is painful and long game but the chances of failing is lower. You know, you basically end up doing something. Um, so it basically ended up B- B2B. And fourth, um, when I was kind of looking at the companies in this space, I come across a company called J2, uh, which is uh, it's a public traded company. Um, it's, it's a, it has two products, eFax and eVoice. And uh, I was very much inspired by J2 because J2 had a commodity pro- product with 30% EBITDA. Uh, the, 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 so it's a fascinating thing, really. You know, if you if you understand how the companies operate, if you're commodity product, your abeta is not going to be thirty percent. You're going to be ten percent EBITDA. The reason J two had thirty uh, percent EBITDA is that the product that they sell, which is EFAX, is um, it, it's a is a it's a um, uh, this product. I, I forget the term, but basically, what end up happening is, if you have customers become price sensitive for a product uh where the price is very small compared to overall business but if something were to go wrong in that product it really disrupts their business so i think the, the example that they teach in the mba school is that there is a company which makes washers for oil drills and that washer is like five thousand dollar even though the true cost is like one dollar but no oil drill wants to change that washer um, always want to use the same brand because if the washer goes inside, and then you know something goes wrong, another company's brand, for example, they substitute it, and if it doesn't work out, your ten million dollar oil drill goes away. So nobody wants to take that risk. You know, nobody wants to save you know thousand dollars there. So in the same way, fax to email service is fax, eFax. You know, it's working. You know, the eFax sells, uh, sold at twelve dollar per month. Their competitor sold at nine dollar per month. Nobody is going to want to change their fax number for three dollar per month. Sorry um so i thought that and this was recurring revenue this was you know 80% gross margin you know 90 95% you know revenue retention i thought this was closest to god i discovered in the sense you know it's a it's a, it's a money making machine you put a dollar to acquire an efax number and then you basically have lifetime value of that very sticky customer of $5 $10 i mean it's as close to atm that you can business atm you can have. and india didn't really have efax india didn't have E voice, which is you know hosted IVR solutions. So I was very impressed by the model. Um, in McKinsey, we used EFX. So I you know I bump into their uh, the the financials. Um, the the, um, the nobody was doing in India. The telecom was you know growing well. I thought if consumers have phone number, they're going to call business, and business need various kind of you know telecom solutions. So this market is kind of wide open. Um, and with that idea, studied a little bit of, you know, the, um, uh, the regulatory framework, which basically meant that people could not come to these e-voice could not come to India because of voice, PSTN regulations. So, it's kind of had a tick mark, theoretically speaking, on all the, um, um, uh, everything that, that that goes into why you should start a particular business. It was large market, there was no product market. Uh, risk I was taking that, you know, it was already working in the US. It was high gross margin, high revenue retention, uh, simple product. Um, and in a market, which I understood better than my American counterparts. Um, and um, in an industry, which was the underlying industry was going 100%. So it's kind of all the right things were happening. And anyway, I was hoping that will fail. So, you know, the with that idea, you know, I come, come, come to India, and uh, try to not make the mistakes that I made the first time. So first mistake was, um, first uh, thing was that first time I had it started alone, this time I partnered with a good friend of mine named Pallav, um, who was also a batchmate and who actually was, I think, the person who knew Rajesh uh, before me. Um, so partnered with him because he already had something ongoing going on. He was running his own company. So that way I did not have to worry about setting up an office, first few employees, all this kind of basic stuff that that you need to get started. I raised capital. Um, um, last time I had only forty thousand dollars, out of which I spent thirty-eight, um, and then had gone back. This time I raised capital, um, and it it's also helped this time because you know I understood technology and business both. Um, so um, the uh, my some of my very wealthy batchmates, you know, they invested uh, almost a quarter million dollar first, and then um, then later ended up investing uh, another you know one point five million dollars. So it was quite a bit of angel round. It was convertible debt. I think we're probably the first company in India who did convertible debt uh, in 2009, um, 2010 time period. Um, and uh, we started building up the business. We had money. Um, um, and um, somehow we started 2009, 2010, and we literally had a product market fit kind of, we felt it in 2011, when suddenly a lot of customers, a lot of businesses who were receiving a whole bunch of phone calls, they needed a way to manage these incoming phone calls. Um, and, um, uh, and and that product market fit happened. Then you know Sequoia investment happened in 2012. Um, who saw you know how quickly it was growing? Also, they were invested in uh, Ring Central, which is similar product in U.S. market, so they could see you know this kind of thesis can play out. Um, and then you know the company got built up. Um, it's, it's a large company now, profitable. You know one of the back uh, investments um, that that are EBITDA profitable and cash profitable um um you know three continents 400 employees almost 10,000 customers it's, it's a it's a it's a reasonably sized company and for me um i think the moment the business became profitable i know that this is a business this is a real business it's going to go um uh, for a very long time um and um, um and yeah i mean that's that's my nolarity journey um fascinating fascinating experience i think not only professional uh, where I understood how the business worked, um, how various components of, how various functions of business come together and work as a business. Why we have marketing. The question I did not understand in MBA school in McKinsey is I understood what marketing is and how it works, but I didn't understand why why they are needed. Uh, why did somebody one day thought about, okay, let's have a marketing department. So I, I understand that. It was fascinating really for me. Um, the, um, the the uh, I think... I went into um, building up a business as, um, as a very rational person, extremely rational person, um, who's always thinking five years, six years ahead, right? And planning for all the eventualities. And I think I grew up in the business to be a little bit believer in God uh, because i can't imagine this is business being successful without the godly you know the, the 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 help from the from the above because it just does not make sense why this could be successful it have, statistically speaking it should have failed um, um and uh, we had near death experience every two years so i i become a believer in god i have a spiritual experience building up this business um the i would say um Amazing, amazing insight into myself, my personality, um, and um, uh, you know how. I think th- th- there's a saying, um, you know, um, the, the the give give a man. I think the saying goes around the line of, you know, give a man power, and his true character will come out, right? You know. Um, in a lot of the things, you know, as soon as the ring is worn by anybody, you know, they can't handle it that much power. You know, there's there's another uh, very nice movie, the movie Mask, um uh, uh, that that I watched a long time back. And as soon as you wear a mask, like your you, your 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 true character becomes magnified. I think being a CEO and founder is similar. Um you know you your your organization is an extension of your DNA and um, what ended up happening is it kind of mirrors. It's a kind of gigantic thing that comes out, and then it's you, but it's staring at you. And then all your <laughs> all 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 your goods and bads and ugly are magnified, and they basically you see it. You can't avoid it anymore. Um, so I think it's a it's a it's a very I would say self discovery um, um, experience in the, the self discovery as well, um, and um, it's a fascinating facilitator, personally and professionally. Um, and with that experience. Um, it became a little boring for me at one point of time, where um, it was only pushing numbers quarter by quarter, um, and that is how my uh, the transition happened. Um, uh, there's a professional CEO running the business, but you know all these learnings um, that that I distilled, I thought, you know, how do I use all these learnings? Uh, of me building up a B2B SaaS business, me, somebody who understand technology and business both, somebody who understand US market and, you know, uh, Indian markets, which are two very exciting uh, capitalist societies, um, the, you know, how do I take all of this and try to minimize my operational involvement? How, how do I again take this? I made an impact, but can I do 10x of it? And the way I can do 10X of it is, you know, I take this distant learning and I give it to the CEO uh, who are running their own B2B SaaS businesses. And that's how Basis Vector started. So um, we have a plan to acquire 15 companies in the next three years um, and, um, and not to stop there because this is my one, one 10 year plan as well. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a I'll not be surprised if the 100 companies in, in, in the next 10 years, um, as we go through a whole bunch of things Whole bunch of transitions that are happening in the in the world today, in the in the B two B SaaS world, in the in the political systems, in the way we work, you know, all this interesting stuff. So I'm very excited about you know just taking all this distant learning and being able to apply, you know, in many of these B two B SaaS companies. At the same time, um, um, uh, living a life where I am not. Um, tied into one office, you know, that independence and freedom is very important. So, you know, I intend to live that kind of life in the next 10 years.
1: So, great overview. Um, In fact, Amrish. Now, one of the things I want to dig a little is, you know, when we first met, Uh you had explained to me this whole thesis around companies like Constellation Software, ESW, etc. And how they got created, which really became inputs for you in the transition from from nolarity to basis vector. So sort of two parts. First is, why did you uh, step away from nolarity? I think nolarity was doing very well. Now you have a great option to build it up, but then you step out and uh, back into almost startup mode. So what made you make that decision? And then sort of the thinking around uh, uh, your foundational thinking for basis vectors. It'll be good to talk about that
2: sure so i mean the Nolarity, um the, the for for me is the whole idea of Nolarity, uh even when the Nolarity got started um i used to spend a month uh, in us and two months in india you this i was kind of going back and forth between india and us um it was um, right from the beginning for me um somewhat of a um, you know, I want to build up this business, but then I want to go back and do, you know, my first love, which is private equity. Um, uh, the, the, the event that it became so successful, it took longer. Um, it it was not, <laughs> ended up being a three year plan, and ended up being, you know, much longer, five, eight, 10 years plan. Um, the, 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 I have never enjoyed doing the same thing every month and every quarter. Um, it's just very intellectually not very exciting really for me. Um, the um, Nolati reached a stage where every month I, I I was I was I remember I was telling me that I was living my life quarter by quarter um, rather than day by day. And I'll explain to you why. The, the, the quarter by quarter in B two B SaaS recurring revenue, nothing changes. It's it's basically you're doing the same thing um every earlier I was doing uh, the same thing every month because the change of pace was more um and then slowly it basically become every quarter it's change of pace become you know something like this and I think i I want in life life experiences right um the uh, more than anything I want freedom to be able to be wherever I want to be. I want intellectual excitement um the i I think Nolarity reaches a stage where any large company typically reaches a stage where um, those things, those changes are not needed. You know, those, those rapid changes are not needed. You need a more steady way of just doing the same thing for many, many years. And, you know, fortunately, and most of the companies don't reach that stage, right? So, We reach that stage. Um, for me, um, I still had a lot more experience and experiment to, um, uh, to see in the world. Um, and um, I always had this idea of private equity um and um, you know that that was not going away so that that's the reason that i step away uh, from nolarity and nolarity was also safe you know it was already profitable um so you know it's a b2b saas company every time you kind of pass on your your baby to somebody you think what if the new guy strangulates, strangulates him and 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 her or or kill her? but you know if it is it's cash flow profitable business you know it's just very difficult to destroy <laughs> that that business so you feel much safer Um, So um, the, the, I think that had happened Um, for for me, I think your other question was how did you know, think about basis vector, correct? Um, The the basis vector, it had two components. It's always, you know, for B it's always macro. Norality was a very macro. Uh, thesis Basic sector is also very macro thesis there are two things that i understand very well i understand b2b SaaS, or actually what you call low cost b2b says so low cost b2b SaaS is you know where the um the, the cost structures are much lower than what you know typically is the us and canada i built up um, a large business in india um where you know you have cost, cost advantages and um, went through every function and built up a very efficient processes to be able to make a business profitable Um, So I have that experience which is incredibly useful experience and then second, I just had so much experience seeing the private equity firms, um, uh, thanks to my McKinsey training um, and then my, you know, my, my, my um, interest in general. So those things were decided that I'm going to do something in B2B SaaS private equity. Now the question was what, right? here is somebody that I understand the asset class much better. So I was kind of trying to see, you know, what is whats is, what, what is that I can do where I am the one of the most knowledgeable person um, um, in, in the world. And that would be, you know, another th- special thing that I have, which is, you know, I understand the U.S. market, I understand Indian market. So, you know, there are very few people who understand U.S. and Indian market both. Uh, I understand software and, and the financial services as well, uh, given that I work in financial services. Um, so, you no, know, just combination of these things basically led to Basis Vector, which is um, a buyout, B2B SaaS buyout company, which picks up companies, uh, B2B SaaS companies, which maybe have a low growth. Um, and um, and I can come in, um, uh, uh, Basis Vector can come in and, um, and, and optimize the company because I have experience in optimizing my own company, optimize the company. So can you squeeze out? Um, uh, the capital and the growth opportunity from the company itself and grow the business in a capital efficient ma- manner. Um, while I was looking at this space, I thought this thesis makes sense. Has anybody done anything similar? Um, and that is where I found Constellation software. ESW, Constellation model is a little bit different from us. They look at a little bit bigger companies. Um, the Constellation is, is a 15 year old Canadian firm. They have acquired 350 companies so far. They buy two companies every month. Um, uh, typically buy 5 to $10 million B2B SaaS companies in US and Canada. Um, and fundamentally, uh, they're publicly traded. Uh, they're darling of Canadian market. Um, uh, very nice recurring revenue growth that that they're able to provide, which is understandable. If you have 350 companies, all recurring revenue companies with 88 to 90% recurring revenue, annual recurring retention, revenue retention. no, the combination of that is not going to go down. It's always going to go up. And that's just public market investors just love it um and you know you have a nice multiple um so public market companies um typically uh, they're valued a little bit more because there's a liquidity compared to private market so i think the constitution really the game is they pick up the right companies they keep keep all the companies going on without um any kind of shared services or anything they don't really touch the individual companies they just become part of this kind of larger umbrella and the larger umbrella is public and as soon as you become part of a large umbrella, your your valuation is going to jump because your stock now, which is you know, replaced for constitutional stocks, is um, um, it's a um, it's it, 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 it has a, it's a more liquidity. So you know, instead of three x or four x revenue, you probably get five x x revenue, and that's that's a large opportunity, right? It's a twenty percent if you are adding in the um in, in in total valuation um you know, it's a large opportunity for a business which is three billion dollar revenue and twenty four billion dollar market cap. And then for investors, you know, in a very turbulent time that we are going through, it's a very safe bet because they know this revenue is going to go up. This is 80% gross margin revenue. This is uh, the the individual companies are sitting in the spaces uh, which are very niche. No Microsoft and Salesforce are not going to attack, you know, those spaces because these are $10 million, $20 million company operating in 50, 60 million dollar total addressable market. So it's a very nice um, uh, strategy. Um I literally, you know, you would compare that to you know n- nowadays there are these these robotic swarms have started coming in. Um so these are swarm of small robots. Um they're they're pretty deadly because you can't kill a swarm. You, I mean it's a one gigantic robot come, you can kill it. But what if a thousand come to you, like thousand bats, right? What will you do? So I think constellation I consider it's like a thousand bats. You know, um they're all kind of independent, they're running and they're kind of defend themselves, they ride very hard but how many will you kill? Like three, four, five, nothing happens. You know, the constellation kind of keeps going on. Um, also, I think, the, so that was very inspiring for me that something like this exists and, you know, basis vector, you know, I intend to build, a, build it up in the same way. The ESW example, um, they have shared service um, and they use um, India shared service. Um, you know, th- that that was example of a company which used shared service um, and, um, and uh, kind of proved to me that there's a precedence for it. What basic sector is a constellation, um, I would say, uh, with a shared service. So it's kind of what we picked up is already exists, not in the f- in in the way that we put it together. And I feel that with my experience, I probably be one of the one of the few people in the world currently who, who understand all components of it, and and can stitch it together. And that made me um, want to do this. Typically, the way I look at new opportunity is. Is this opportunity going to stay here for a long period of time? That's, you know, of course, yes, Uh, because B2B SaaS is just, people are moving from non-SaaS to SaaS. It's going to be there for a long time. Um, Why I am the best person to do it, you know, Um, and that there's also tick mark US Canada, US India experience, uh, financial Mm -hmm. services experience, you know, um, and then entrepreneurial experience. Um, I understand technology and business both. Um, um, and most importantly I deeply understand this asset class um, uh, and, and running it low cost basis which many people don't do most of the people don't really understand and third is will I enjoy um, and then there's also a tick mark there uh, which is um, you know, I want to be in a situation where I can make an impact, being, make, being able to make a large impact has been very important for me um, so being able to make an impact and have independence uh, to be able to travel and live wherever I want to be so from there, the stick marks, it's something that word world needs. It is something that, you know, I am specially suitable to do in the world. And third, I am going to enjoy it. So that's my tenure. That's how a business sector is reached.
0: So Amrish, when talking to you, it's quite interesting. You are in many ways yin and yang of uh, investing. So most people, most entrepreneurs, when we speak to, there is a passion, there is something that they bring to the table and they try and solve one problem, this problem has been irritating them. You bring a lot of that passion, you brought that spirituality to it, etc. You want to travel, you want to have a certain vision out of it. On the other side, you're saying, I'm not solving one problem that's irritating me. I'm going in many ways top down investing. I look at this uh, market, I look at the sector, I look at the EBITDA, and I look at this B2B SaaS company. This is the duality that so beautifully resides inside of you. At the same time, to my mind, what you've been saying for the last few minutes is that seems to be the success mantra for you right now. The ability to bring that creativity and passion to the business, but also at the same time to bring a very, very bookkeeping, uh, private equity investor mindset to that business. How do you manage these two brains? Because most of us, I think if fried is is just managing one part of it, you seem to be managing both and making it work.
2: Um, so I think people typically are better in one versus another. Um, and, um, you know, I started out, I would say the top down, I'm very top down person um, for me. Um, and I was just, you know, chatting with, um, Rajesh, some time and telling, you know, another thing that I've lately become very excited about is psychology in general. Um, and I'm an ENTP, there's a myers briggs type called ENTP, and, you know, you kind of study it, like you study yourself, like everybody who came before it was ENTP and you better understand why you are the way you are. It's just we are wired differently. Um, the, um, so we are, the ENTPs in general are, they see patterns, the brain are wired to not go linearly, but they to parallel processing actually it's like a parallel processing it's a um it, it's um, it's just neurons fires and fire in a different way so i am a pattern recognition guy you know i want loads of input loads of experiences be able to see everything and not take go deep into anything um and um and see the pattern and that's how noleti started for example my first company started which failed um the, the I think the second part, which is going all the way to probability numbers, you know, you know, what you should, I think that I will attribute to my nullity experience. I was single founder for a very long period of time. So you basically, you you have no choice but to do it. It's a learned behavior um, and, um, and, and um, you end, end up learning it. And also, I'm extremely practical. Um, so whatever I'm seeing, if it cannot be implemented, it's useless. So I have to think through all the way to see how it will get implemented. And literally I have have to have a mind map of how things will, um, you know, will, will unfold um, for, it to, for me to be comfortable that you know, this is worth pursuing. So to your question, um, I am actually much better. I'm much better. I'm actually very good at the first one, which is better recognition. I I didn't have a choice but to learn the second one. But now that I have it, um, you know, you basically use both.
1: One thing I'm I've always been fascinated when we have these conversations is really the, the breadth of the breadth of your ability to actually see trends, which are happening and which you then distill into the business that you're building. So yeah. I think it'll be, it'll be good. I think there are a lot of foundational ideas. The world is changing quite rapidly. Yeah. You're, you're using all of those trends. You know, those micro trends now, which become big, big uh, sort of macro ones later on. Uh, we should talk a little about that. What are you seeing today, which become big tomorrow, and which have really are serving for you as the foundation for basis vectors?
2: No, that's a, this, it's a fascinating question, really. Um, and uh, I see whole whole bunch of patterns because of which um, I literally see a window of opportunity for basis vector as well to be able to go and establish itself in the world. Um, the, the and i'm i'm and the, the many of these conversations you know we have had because i like to talk uh, so that you know I, I i i make sure that you know i am not living in some kind of you know voodoo world where so i'm the only person who, who thinks and, and this is rajesh because of that the input that conversation that we have had, it's been amazing really amazing conversation about you know the how, how marketing world is moving and sales technology world is moving and you know uh, red velvet marketing and profit, profit cons and all those things. And it's Basically, there's a, this kind of concept is very useful to be able to refine many of those cases. But you may, when you talk about basis vector, I think, I think a bunch of things that are happening in basis vector and I'll talk about the major ones and then some minor ones, right? Um, because minor ones may be impactful, but it's just really fun to talk about those sources those and those ones to see how you react to it. I think the major one is what I call commod- commod- commoditization of software. And um, I say it with a pleasure um i i wrote <laughs> I wrote a LinkedIn um uh, post uh, almost two years back, which talked about step aside engineers for the time of plumbers have come um and, uh, and this was when I was running noity um I think three years four years back and um uh, my engineers were insulted um uh, the, the what it talked about is was that software engineering um is um, it's it's not an art anymore it's a, it's a drag and drop Plug-and-play, you know. There's, there's, you need architects and plumbers. The way you build up a house, you know, you don't don't need artists to make a make a wall, right? You know, there is a there's architect architect who comes and tells you what needs to be done, and then there's a very specific way of doing things, and so anybody with not much expertise can come into it. I think the, the software development has reached that 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 stage, um, and um, you know that article we talk about how that has been historically the case with any technology. You know, for example, um, there was um, the steel making used to be um, uh, uh, an art at one point of time, right? There used to be artists who would make sword and you know other uh, other steel uh, related um, the, the appliances from made from steel. You need to put light light amount of kind of iron ore and maybe a little bit of cobalt, you know, a little bit of nickel, you know, all other materials on on it, and and then and forge something nice. And then, you know, the steel mills came, you know, especially in Pittsburgh, uh, where I went to school. And um, school to where, where you know, you can move knobs and then you start making um, uh, the steel. Um, and that led to riots as well, you know, whole whole history around it. But fundamentally, you know, what ended up happening is, new stuff comes and then, you know, in the beginning, there are artists who are making it. And then people see that most of the consumer consume five different variation of it. And then there are machines who basically get a template to make it. Uh, This is what happened when Microsoft Visual Studio came, you know, Windows application development became drag and drop, Um, you know, um, uh, then AWS, you know, if you look at the AWS journey, they've built up the underlying uh, components for web applications, you know, databases, database as a service, server, server as a service, you know, the various caching system and all those things. And now they just come up with a drag and drop interface to be able to create applications as well. And this will grow. So the, if the software development become commodity, and most of the software is anyway web application, uh, what it does is um, it doesn't mean that you know all these engineers get fired. You know, no engineers are still there. It's just that the application become more complex um, because the web screens that you need to create um, can be created so easily. So even a small company will say, you know what, in this web application, I'm going to create a report. I'm going to create this. I'm going, do, I'm going to do give you everything for a little price. Um, So the web application becomes deep um, and um, the given this becomes so easy, you know, it doesn't matter. You don't need a Silicon Valley $200,000 engineers to do it. Maybe somebody sitting in Noida or, you know, some other place can also do it, you know, as easily. Um, Which is what I call is what happened with microwave ovens, for example. Right? you know, microwave ovens, you don't buy Siemens or, you know, Philips microwave ovens. You go to Amazon and you see which has the highest rating, and it's just buy it, right? Um, and uh, that's it, that's all it is, right? That's what people like, you know, this is buy it. Anyway $20, right? And you know, every microwave anywhere runs for like two years, and it seems to be good, right? So you buy it. So what happens is the same application, application develop, software application will become toasters, toasters. Right. It will be done. It will be done. You know, it's the same CRM application for tours, tourists and travelers, right? And there'll be, you know, one, the way people differentiate is, oh, this is for the Spanish-speaking people. Or, or this is maybe, you know, for, you know, this particular geography. Like little, little difference the way you buy toaster, like toasters with like two breads, three breads, you know, and, you know, you press the button, it's yellow color, right? So those kind of things, people start differentiating because everything is kind of already been figured out. And they still need it. Toaster, we still need toaster. In the same way, we still need CRM application. It's just, there's a toaster. Like anybody can make it. So uh, uh, the, the, I, I, think, I think that is what is going to happen is that web applications become toasters. And, and when they become toasters, you know, they should be made in China. You know, in case the toasters are made in China, I think it should be made in like wherever you can made it easiest and most effect, cost effectively. And with all the bells and whistles, like three lights like to start a red, yellow, green lights in the same way the application has like three reports rather than one report that you get. I think that is where people start competing and then just kind of do it in a very cost-effective manner.
0: So, um, so you're not going to be very popular at your college. I don't think they're going to call you too often for lectures. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, i see, I think, I think in, in in IIT Kanpur, we had a course called programming tools and techniques. I don't know Rajesh, if in you, you, your time had it we had to learn one programming language every week and create a software and you know and that course was this was a one semester long course but the credit was half of a, of a typical course and that just took a lot of time like every week you're learning new programming language and coding and then moving on um what we learned was that um, programming languages um and this coding this is the Syntax doesn't really matter. I mean, once you know one, you can do another one, third one, fourth one. In the same way, the engineers, right? um, If most of the part became, um, you know, drag and drop, there will still be 10, 20% part, which will need optimization. That is where they'll invest their energy. Um, Things will become far more complex um assembly language and people move from assembly language to c right it didn't really mean that suddenly people programmer lost job no it actually increased from c when people move to c when everybody started using you know amazon and google cloud it doesn't mean that the jobs have grown it's just systems have become bigger right and then you're doing 20 percent of it but not that 20 percent contribute to the you know what you did you know so people just become more efficient really you know that's what end up happening so i think from that point of view it is it is not but anybody who doesn't learn, anybody who still only knows assembly language, they're not going to have a job. Um, so the people need to learn very quickly. I think that's the only thing that I would say. But simple applications, which are toasters, right? You know, anybody can make it. Um, and uh, I think that's that's the path they should have. And that's good for humanity because humanity needs productivity. You know, if you're going to, yeah, exactly. You know, our cumulative um, uh, productiveness requires that we constantly automate or simplify the tasks that earlier require human effort um, to be done by robots. So I think that's a very good thing. That's one belief. Um, um, the second is um, what, what um, the actually, the, there's another article that I wrote before coronavirus actually started. I mean, this is a remote work had what you call uh, Rejoice We Are Free Again in the Last 12,000 Years. Um, so um, what it talks about uh, is. You know, when we were, there were they were time when we were hunter gatherer, and then we had um, we had the tools of our productivity in our hand, which was a rock and, and and maybe a stick, right? And we used to kill animals and eat it. And we were, we were nomads, uh, uh, we, 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 our family, you know, quote unquote family would go around with us, right? Um, and we were completely free. We were not tied to a land. You know, there was not one place that we had to go to you know, every day. And so happened that humanity discovered wheat uh, that, you know, why run around here and there? You know, you just put it, but, you know, <laughs> this will grow and then you eat it. The problem is that then you are tied to land. You know, you can't go anywhere. You know, that, that we got domesticated. Uh, we were a free human being. we got domesticated by the wheat um, and this is how i you know what I postulate you know marriage started you know because then you basically have to give one woman to one man either way so then men don 't fight um, so I think this whole quota system probably started religion is started because God is watching don 't fight, please you know come together um, I think uh, that is how um the the, uh, the 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 politics society the structure is started right um, and men become answerable to their boss. To their wives, um, the uh, the, uh, the tribal leader, um, you know, have to have a civic sense. You know, is live in a particular society in a certain way, right? Um, and that's passed on uh, to uh, the, um, um, uh, the 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 manufacturing economy. You know, the the farms got replaced by factories, and it's still the same thing. It's just, instead of kind of working in a farm, you are going to a factory and working on the assembly line. But what has happened in last 20 or 25 years is that, you know, we have got detached from it. Uh, we have our laptops, that's our stone, and uh, we can sit anywhere and shoot emails. Instead of, you know, this is shooting, shooting animals, you shoot emails. Um, uh, and uh, and, and we are free again, um, and we float. Um, um, and Because of that, what ended up happening is, you're not tied by a geography anymore, which basically means that you can renounce a geography and then go to place where you, you want to, um, and that's just having a huge impact on everything. Um, I think society, uh, the personal lives, you know, and I can go talk about, you know, the, the one of the institution, even that I'm not married, you know, marriage is an institution that I kind of look at the statistics and how that, that is precipitating uh, currently in US because of this people don't want to get married because actually it was artificial institution. Um, the, um, the the But the impact is also at work, and then what has happened in coronavirus that that impact has gotten precipitated um, the uh, Everybody is sitting with their stone on the internet and hunting animals right you know um, you can be sitting in Bali um, and hunting animals in, in u s um, uh, or you can be sitting in, in India hunting animals in u s or you can be sitting in u s and hunting animals in europe you know um, you, you can be wherever you want to be. Um you're free again. Um and but also what it does is there's a bunch of things. I think the um the, the downtown uh the real estate prices will go down um because of this, because you don't have to live in Bay Area, and we're already seeing you know, the rental prices in Bay Area has gone down. Uh, the um the market labor become commodity. Um so you know, if everybody is on the internet offering their services, you know, it becomes commodity the organizations, professional services organization become decoupled. Um, so why will you hire a PwC accountant when you can hire the guy directly, right? Uh, it's the same guy. And that way you don't have to pay like three times the markup. Um, the, um, the, the organization become very lean and um, all on internet because many of the services that they're producing also are virtual services. Um, so everybody can float on internet and you basically come together as a tribe Um, you know who is uh, aligned for one particular work Uh, the competition um, in the labor market will become more intense I feel much more intense and you know I'm not surprised that Facebook is basically saying you know everybody can work from home Twitter it's uh, it's they're responding to coronavirus but also I think what they're doing is um, they are tapping into a large global talent market which is going to be floating on internet available to anyone to stitch together and align for a mission statement or build up a company. Um, So human cloud in a way, right? you know, talent cloud is vast talent cloud available, you know, willing to collaborate um, and and build up companies. So I think that's another thesis that I have um, because of which um, whenever we get into a company, one of the things that we do is get them off from the old world of everybody going to office and working uh, to a new human cloud world where you basically have access to all the talent from all over the world. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're sitting in US or India or Ukraine or you know Russia, uh, you can all collaborate together on video and you know shared screens and work on a cloud which is anyway global right from the beginning and sell to a companies over internet. Um, so um, th- yeah, that leads it. to yeah that's sorry. That's, that's,
0: sorry, just to hold you that that's very interesting when you're saying that the the human cloud comes in. So the only criticism I've heard of is that it's. It's unable to create a culture or a micro culture or a, um, the water cooler uh, culture. And is that something that uh, companies may miss or is that an overrated thing you, you think and that can be easily replicated? The gains are far more.
2: I, I think it's, it's, I, I'll, 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 I'll compare it with it's like equivalent to saying that the cars are good, but they don't uh, create the the horse shit, you know, um, that everybody's used to. So what the question is, do we even need it? The, the point is, you need people to move from point A to point B, right? Um, maybe that was not needed. The, do you need that politics that happens? You know, the, the culture um, of these companies will be very different than uh, the culture of the companies where people, everybody comes to office. So i just going to give you two examples of the companies and there are a bunch of companies. Buffer.io, for example, is, you know, is all global, um, all remote. What ended up happening is, you know, when people come to office, um, there is a manager who is telling them what to do, right? Um, and they are being watched. As soon as people are being watched, they actually let go of autonomy, you know, their their own sense of, um um, you know, they, they don't make decision by themselves because there is somebody to tell them what to do, right? So they so let go of decision. Um, we treat, in in many of these companies, we treat employees like children, right? You know, everybody comes to school and then there is a they will tell you to do this, you do this, you do this and then people do it, right? Um, when, when you don't have that option and you know, it will be a very gradual process. It's not going to happen in two years. It's going to take five, eight, 10 years kind of time period. Um, the the uh, when you don't have that, many times people are lost, you know, I think what is happening given that how quickly this happened in many of the companies, people are lost, you know, people are saying, you know, nobody's there to guide me. But why do you need guidance on something that you have been doing for the last two years? Did you not use your brain to kind of figure out how to create an outcome, output? Why do you need to be watched? How do you care, you know, um, you know whether where boss the, was hanging around yesterday? right? Um, you know, you don't need all those conversations. Um, and uh, even if you need those things, you know, if you want to kind of build out, you know, face-to-face conversations, you can always meet, you know, once a quarter, once a month in some kind of activity and, and work together, um, uh, you know, have, have fun together as friends. But, you know, if you want to balance or you want to have most of the time, you know, at working at your own pace um, on the activities that you choose to do, based on being able to provide the outcome um, uh, rather than um, just the activities. So I think what is going to happen is first those sets of employees who who have enough self discipline, and who are outcome oriented will prefer to go remote. And those are the best employees. Those are the best are the best kind of people that you want to work. So If, if the employee is that I can do the same thing provide the same outcome sitting at home, right? You know, why are you spending time on the seat and all those things? Uh, the boss will not have any problem, the boss will not want to lose them as well. And for him, it's very, or him or her, it's very convenient, really. Um, so that person can go and sit at home. And then what will end up happening is more and more people do it because it's just, it's a win-win for both of them. And what will end up happening, is only those people who are employee child, right? Employee children will come to office, will be forced to come to office and everybody else who can be productive sitting at home will basically choose that, you know, hybrid option of sitting at home. So the culture will evolve. The culture that we have currently is not what we wanted. It became what it is because of the method that we used to get work done. If the, the method that we use to get work, a new, more efficient way of getting the work done comes up, a new kind of culture will evolve. And then you probably see a report three years, five years down the line, that this is new way of building a company. No, this actually just technology underlying technology changed. So, you know, it's, it, it, you know, that, that become, you know, the, the dominant and more efficient way of getting work done. You have more, bigger talent pool available. You know, you can, you know, you probably more cost effective as well. The the employees are happier because they can work on their own time, wherever they want to be. Um, the the Anybody who masters this, you know, it'll be far more efficient. So any CEO who masters remote organization can get more work done at a lower cost with happier employee, right? It's a, and that is already happening. Some of them have already been done and others will be pressed. Those who will not be able to do it will die because they'll not be efficient organization. The board will fire them, they'll not get a job. So this is not a choice anymore. It will happen and it will be a very different culture. There'll be very different culture. The genie is out of the bottle.
1: Amrish, if we I think these are fascinating trends that you're talking about. And another theme that you've talked about uh, is really that how sort of this whole general advice that we get is wrong. <laughs> It'll be great to to dig deeper into that. What you've you've talked about it on your uh, on your posts. Uh, and linking that with sort of the psychology elements which are there, I think. Uh, how do you sort of connect these these thoughts?
2: Um the, the, the um give me one moment because I have some company here. Give me a moment yeah so um the the, the answer to that question is just um the, the very different way people think and people's mind work really. Um, uh, the, um, and we, by the way, can come back to other trends, um, that I watched mm-hmm. on, uh, on PC sector as well, but mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about this first. Um, so my, uh, I have always been very, since childhood, I was very introspective. I remember, um, you know, I was 13 years old, and I wrote, uh, read a book called uh, um, "Adolescent Mind." This <laughs> is because I wanted to understand why I think the way I think, and more importantly, why many of my friends were acting the way they were acting. And I did not ask my parents. I basically read a book on, you know, how adolescent mind works, and that's how I learned that, you know, uh, the the boys typically, you know, have interest in girls. Like you know, this, is, this is my way of learning. <laughs> this is quite fascinating. But um, so so I've been very very curious about myself, um, and you know why I, th- I why, why I think the way I think, and then you know this is how I develop into philosophy, you know Western philosophy, uh, the Eastern philosophy, and and you know the um, just the generic advice um, that you basically get from everywhere. Uh, it's it's never been very useful to me. Um, the most useful thing that I've read was uh, there's there's a guy named Viktor Frankl um and um, he wrote a book called man search for meaning in life um, um, um that, that's the closest to what i and then what people told me was that you study everything and see you know what what works for you and i am like you know after so many years of like research and people spending and pontificating right? Like, this is what you've come up with like you don't have an answer to what one should do now this very simple question what should one do like in their life like what is the most efficient thing what is the right thing to do for a person <laughs> after college what should you do um, nobody has an answer for that. Um, so so I kept, I kept studying and I bumped into, I remember when I was in McKinsey, we went and did a Myers-Briggs uh, personality test, MBTI test, and uh, that was really fascinating really for me because I suddenly saw that I could actually understand other people by just, I had kind of just change the lens you know, this is an ENTP and this is an INTJ and this guy. And then I could see a little, you know, how to communicate with that person, how the person thinks, you know, how to give time to the person, how to debate with that person, you know, all those things. And that kind of been there for quite some time. In Nolarity, I did uh, all my employees to take my spec test to see, you know, if there's any correlation between, you know, the who who I like, who I don't like, you know, who stays, who doesn't stay. And I see, I saw this, there was a lot of Fs, which is like a lot of feelers who stayed for longer. Um, there was a correlation between the, and which basically, basically I, I kind of s- understand because I am the kind of very mission guy and talk about, we'll do this, we'll do this. And then I think a lot of feelers really associated with me, well, a lot of thinkers were, this guy is bullshitting. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then left on. Um, so I, I think this has been very, very, very fascinating really thing for me. Uh, post psilocybin i had got more time um to understand it um and um um the, the my, my experience i think the shocking experience i would say which kind of started my this whole journey was you know i you know we are living in california which where psychedelics are you know legal so i had some experience with that um and um, um uh, without naming the name um uh, uh, what i tried you know i tried something um which totally changed my personality, you know, for a week. And that was quite, it was, it, it was, it was, it was um, a life altering really experience for me because um, that drug uh, increase um, the serotonin uh, in my brain, which makes you very emotional and, and uh, touchy-feely about things. Um, and uh, I'm not, I'm a very rational person. And I literally, I'm watching myself to be far more emotional, sentimental, you know, feeler type person. And uh, my whole personality changed uh, for a week and kind of the, the, the effect where wore off and I kind of was back. But what I realized is that this is the personality that I'm proud of, which I consider of my own, is actually is a chemical accident. Um, and, um, you know, and everybody, the way they think, their accidents their are accidents just fundamentally chemical accidents you know they were, and what they start identifying as their ego and and themselves um they could could have been anything else, and this can be changed you know it could be changed very quickly you know if, with with the, with a little bit of drug here and there um and with that i kind of went into there there's a there's a, an, there's a biological anthropologist named helen fisher uh she wrote a book um around she she is a chief scientist in a company called um, uh, chemistry.com where she has the data on who reaches out to who like for dating and uh, where the relationship forms which so kind of did research which is backed by data and her own understanding of how brain works um, uh, on, um, on different kind of people uh, and how their brains are different and that was fascinating really for me and that led to um, there's a guy named Dario Nardi um, um, who did a research who basically puts your it looks at the electric electrical signals on your brain um, uh, and literally see, you know, how different types of personality, you know, their 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 for the same stimuli, their um their um, uh, reaction in the brain is different, right? So basically, let me uh, to understand how different people are hardwired differently. Um, and um, when you, when you understand this, so kind of just very at a very high level, there are people what you call builders. Who like tradition who like things which has happened like they kind of live a little bit in the past the things have happened the same thing they want to do they don't want too many changes right and that's a that's a builder type you know which is the builder type that, that um, and the, the term that uh, um, uh, Helen Fisher uses and then uh, there are people who are explorers who like to explore um, who don't want to stick to one place Uh, there are people who are conquerors, you know, who want to go and, you know, conquer things. And then there are people who are idealists, you know, pursue idealism and, you know, get other people get emotionally connected and, you know, create a cohesion in the organization. That's a very different way of looking at the world. And we all have come across these kind of people Uh, and they have have difficulty understanding each other because they just hardwired differently. You know, uh, they just see the world very differently. The same thing, I look at it and the way Rajesh looks at it, or you look at it, uh, it's just, it's, you will see different things because we, the word is something else, we are seeing something else, right? And that has been really fascinating, really for, thing for me. For me, um, uh, once that happened, um, that understanding developed, you know, what I, the, the corollary is that most of the advice is not meant for me, you know, there are 16 different types. And if you look at the 16 types and you divide them, The builders and then what you call in MBTI is something called STs, um, SJs and SPs, that contribute 80% of the population because you basically evolution would prefer a lot of builders but few explorers, right? You don't want half of the people exploring, right? So you want 20% NTs and NFs, as they say, and then 80% are S builders and procedural people. So most of the people that you come across, they are builders, and then you know that's the people who kind of want some structure in life, right? And there are very few people who get on a boat looking for North pole. There are very few people who want to do that. Right. If you happen to one of those people, most of the advice which are written for everyone will not be applicable to you. So, um, so what I said was that's the reason nothing works for me because you know, it's a self discovery. And then what, what, should I learn everything by trial? and error? Or I can depend on somebody who has kind of done this thing for me. So, you know, before me, so that I can learn from it. So basically I started, I'm ENTP. So I started looking for, oh, who are the ENTPs? You know, and then basically found a bunch of ENTPs. Um, and um, uh, Benjamin Franklin, for example, is an autobiography. And I I, I went through, I said, hey, I, I could have, I could have done that, right? These kind of weird stuff. Um, the, 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 the um, and then one other, other interview, and then you basically understand your brain as well, what you're good at and what you're not good at, right? Um, and what it does is, you that way you know um, what to offer and what not to offer, right? Um, where to feel, you know, very, uh, there, there's a saying, God give me um, uh, courage to do what I can do and humility to accept what you cannot do and wisdom to know the difference, right? Uh, which is incredibly important because if you're CEO of a company, you know, if you know what you do not know, what you do not do so well, it's very easy. You can fix it by hiring somebody to do, do that thing. Right? The problem is you don't know what you don't know. You just, you know, you have um, arrogance, you know, you, you think that I should try and, and then things, you know, screw up things. So from that point of view, it was incredibly useful, but I think what it has been most useful is, you know, for me to just copy paste uh, the worldviews of the people who are of my type. Uh, because I don't look at whole humanity and the best in the humanity as the guiding, you know, um, uh, the personality for myself. I know that those don't do not work for me. You know, there's a certain type of people who work more for me um, and I can pursue them and see, you know, what are the things they have tried and that will be a better fit really for me. So, so I think that that has been very useful. I think the corollary of that is that most of the advice for most of the people is wrong. Which is pretty, pretty powerful thing. Most of the advice for most of the people is wrong. And that's why they don't, nobody trusts the advice. You know, you have all kinds of gyans floating on Facebook and LinkedIn. It's all useless. You scroll through it because it's a, it's not customized for you. It's not a specialized for you. There's a very specific, but if you know that this is actually this, 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 this knowledge is made just for people like you and for your own life choices, then you can be, you know, very, um uh, then you would take it more seriously and the chances of you doing it is higher as well um and i think that's how it should be uh, for example the movies i should watch maybe i don't like all kind of movies you know i, I you would not like all, all kind of movies there are certain movies um uh, that, that uh, for example action pack movies i don't like action pack movies because that's a very sp phenomenon in mbtis um the um the, the 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 uh, there's certain movies I like, and that you basically can find out based on your personality types. Um, you know the kind of people that I so I've actually become good at assessing by talking with people to see you know their eyes, their face experience, and expression to see you know what 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 you know let's say human model that person is right, <laughs> and then what based on the human model you can change your communication style, and then you can kind of better understand the person, impersonate a little bit uh, about the kind of person that the person wants you to be.
1: I think it's fascinating, Amrish. You're saying that effectively as a business leader or as just as a, as a person, if you can understand sort of the elements of psychology, how people behave, how people think, that can actually give you a significant competitive advantage in many ways in dealing with people. Mass- massively, massively, I think
2: massively. I mean, it's, I can't really uh, overstate the importance of this. This is a this is bigger than, you know, Lolarity, for example, for me, uh, because it's a self discovery. Forget about business leader, you as a person. Forget about you dealing with other people. Do you do people know how to deal with themselves? We hate each, we hate ourselves. There are things that we hate about us. And we hear things from outside and we are self-critical. We, 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 we punish ourselves, forget about others. We, we don't, there are so many times we don't nurture ourselves. we we mistreat ourselves you know the the, forget about the word be nice to ourselves and before you be nice to yourself you need to know what this little kid inside what is good at what is not good at you know what what does he crave what he doesn't crave why should you listen to your your wife your kids your son your boss your, your employees first is start from charity start from yourself selfishness once you're happy then, uh, then we can start out being, you know, better family person, and then maybe after that, better, you know, you know the the the, the, the leader. You know, I think leader comes. I, I kind of be very practical about it. I, I think, you know, the I think the most important, the very first thing is, you know, how to be happy yourself before we change the world. So uh, from that point of view, it's incredibly useful. Um, and for me, it has been fascinating. Um, but you know, level three, which is, you know, better business leader or team leader, I think just there's a lot more empathy, um, to others. Um, one of the things that I read about is the, 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 there's a, there's a guy, the psycho, psychotherapist, um, uh, named Carl, Carl Jung, Jung. And, um, he, in, in a, so he talks about, he talked about a shadow, the shadow and that shadow come from, so what end up happening to things that we're not good at, we become insecure about those things. Um, and there are things that we don't even think exist. So for example, a lot of people are very good in very, very bad at understanding how other people are feeling, right? So that is, for example, you know, would be, they are, everybody says that they're cruel, but actually you can based on the profile, you can tell, you know, the, the reason they don't understand how other people are feeling is because their mind is attuned to the 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 in a very rule based way of how the world works, right? So their their mental facilities are kind of all focused towards that. Uh, once you, if that kind of person understands that I am actually bad at understanding how other people are feeling, what will intellectually, if they understand it and accept it. Uh, and then he sees the model and he kind of meets other people who are similar type, right, who also have the same problem. And then they mistreat him as well. That now he understands when somebody says, you don't know how I'm feeling. He's not lying. That employee is not lying. He's, and then, and yeah, it's like, I have this broken, my hand is broken. Like, it's just like, what can I do? I understand. I can't understand how, how to, how you're feeling. The, the there's a self-development can happen at that time, right? Because now you know what you don't know that you don't even know, right? You know, that's a, so your blind spots become, I think, better. You, you, you can box, create a box around it. Your insecurities become better, right? Um, and these are lifelong things because this has happened been all your life. This is part of your ego. Um, so it's literally, you're, f- you're fixing your own ego. You're healing your own ego. The part that you never touched because you're so sensitive when you became big and then you don't let anybody touch it. That finally you can go and repair it. Um, so I think from finally, that point of view...
1: Yeah, it's it's, a, it's been a fascinating detour, I think, which we took into sort of understanding self and others. Yeah. Um, and I want to bring it back to, I think you mentioned uh, towards the end, as we're nearing the end, a uh, couple of the trends on basis vectors, you know, which you're building on. I think we talked about the commoditization of uh, software and the sort of uh, the whole changing nature of work. And these are yeah. two key building blocks for you. In basis vectors. So, what are one or two of the other trends that you are seeing, which are really helping you build it out?
2: I, I, I think the um, th- these two are very important ones. Um, the third, I would say, the financial markets, um, the the public pl- private market. If you look at uh, in US and you know in India, there is an artificial separation between them. Um the artificial separation is in in the US you want a billion dollar market cap company before it goes public. And everybody knows that going public, you know, the uh, the 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 uh, the liquidity is much better, you know, you get a lower cost capital available to you, but as soon as you kind of go to private markets, the liquidity is less, you know, the cost of capital is higher, you know, you have to deal with many things. So um the the, the barrier is artificial. Um, and this is, you know, one of the things that arbitrage, that constellation is using. You know, there's a barrier, and then there's a. So public companies, you know, a couple of million dollars just uses to spend, just maintaining the um, the the, the maintenance of various kind of regulatory requirements, or fulfilling various kind of regulatory requirements because that there's a certain size. What has happened is with the, with the technology, you can break that barrier. Um, uh, many of those things can be handled. For example, for example, there's something called. Um, the secure token offering STOs, right? Which is blockchain-based, um, asset backed securities. Um, you can do um you can do uh, you know the private crowdsource market like a, right? so that's the kind of thing that is you can you can do in US You, you provide limited liquidity to a whole bunch of investors, you know, who are wherever where your company is not limited to public market, but it's reasonably liquid, right? So it kind of gets it that liquidity premium embedded in it. Right. So all those interesting things are happening. There's also the, For example, India, there's a geographic list associated with the companies in various places, but that's kind of just, it's a very artificial. You know, there's a US company, uh, Indian company get listed in US, right? You know, you get a US market access, you know, US capital access, even though the, all the revenue in India. So there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of artificialness in the capital market uh, um, uh, because of which, and this market's not efficient, because of which what end up happening is a lot of intermediaries who make loads of money. Um, you know, you take a company IPO, you take seven percent. You know, you raise debt. You somebody you pay three percent to somebody. Right? It's just very little thing, and that's why Wall Street, you know, everybody so wealthy, right? You know, it's just uh, for not doing a whole bunch of work. You know, they get paid more. Um, they get, get paid a lot, um, and that's why all the intelligent people in in US wants to become go to Wall Street and you know get make this free money, easy money. Um, it rationally makes sense, you know. But I think technology should disrupt that, um, and uh, that should go away. One of the things, basis of basis vector is, um, you know, how do I make private companies which are small access to the public uh, market liquidity, and 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 the capital, and um, this is what constellation is. This is what we intend to, do. and you know, not just limit ourselves to U.S. company, but U.S., Canada, European companies, and possibly Indian companies as well in the future. You know, we can do so that way. That becomes another you know level. Creating level playing field really. Um, the the another corollary of that is what I feel is that most of the SaaS companies are not most mo, SaaS companies grow slowly in general. You know, typically median age for a SaaS company to go public is eleven years. Uh, most of the VC funds are seven to eight years. So there is a mismatch. Um, the VC fund is you know is okay for SaaS company, but more suitable for consumer companies where you can put in a lot of money, you have massive growth, and then you can sell at like big multiples. Um, the SaaS companies go slowly, even if you pour loads of money, you know, it's not going to make much difference uh, to the growth. If you take away all the money, suddenly companies, you know, the growth rate goes down, but doesn't go down that much also, right? So it's the, the correlation between lot pouring a lot of capital and then the growth success of the companies are actually not very good in SaaS business. And the timelines are like what we are, you know, 11 year median age. Uh, because of which um, the um, either VCs are not happy many times or the SaaS companies are not happy because SaaS companies are getting pushed and VCs are getting pulled, right? It's just a push and pull going. Um, with us, what we, Basis director does is basically it's quite patient, permanent capital. It's a, it's a buy and hold strategy. We don't sell. Uh, it's, a, it's a perpetual fund. Um, so with a perpetual fund, you know, we're basically saying, come in, join us, Never have to sell, just sit tight, grow the business, build the business the way you want to build without having to worry about the timeline. And that takes care of this timing issue. So I think that's another thesis that we have just, you know, the SaaS as an asset class, um, it can be much, much benefited by uh, patient capital, which can sit there for a very long period of time, uh, providing nice recurring revenue and the cash flows from the business, you know, um, as a business get built in a very fundamental positive way without having to, without get, being hurried. Um, I think that's, that's, um, that's, that's another thesis. Um, the, I think that the toaster thesis is um, the, the, the one part of the thesis is this whole mid-market US. So US is um, roughly um, 15 million or so um, SMBs out of which very large number of SMBs are medium size, roughly two million or so. Actually, uh, very, very large are proprietors. So two million or so SMBs um, the VCs typically have not wanted in US um, um, SMBs to build up a SaaS business in US. They will either ask you to become make it automated so you can serve you know SMB segment, you know very small companies, or go larger at the price um, where you can go and service to you know one hundred thousand dollar orders um, to you know one hundred plus employee or five hundred plus employees. So mid market is underserved because the customer acquisition cost did not make sense. Um, um, but that has changed, uh, thanks to Zoho and Freshworks, who have, you know, learned to sell them sitting through people, sitting in India, uh, in the U.S. market. And that's uh, that's a corollary of um, um, these global opportunities available to everybody in the world uh, has come on. That's, you know, that's, that's the one segment that we look at in the U.S. market as we, um, as we pick up companies, is, you know, we can service U.S., Canada, Europe, uh, mid-market customers cost-effectively for a very long period of time um, with very high quality products uh, through the company that, that we invest in.
1: Great. I think it's, it's been a wonderful conversation, Amrish. I think we've covered many diverse aspects. For me, there are sort of the three broad themes I think, which you've sort of touched upon. I think one has been your own entrepreneurial journey, building a business, you know, the, the, the way you think, you know, the top down thinking, and that you, you bring to the table. I think the second is what you've really given us is a, a glimpse into the future. You know, what's the sort of uh, micro trends that are likely to come and which have significant investments on every business, which are uh, 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 significant differences really or, or learnings for how businesses in the future are gonna get built. Especially this whole idea of, you know, work from anywhere, your ability now to tap into the best global talent and as you are doing yourself, Uh, in basis, uh, basis vectors. And I think the third thing, which was a new dimension for me is this whole depth of, uh, you know, uh, in in sort of understanding people, which we never uh, sort of dig deep into, you know, you, you think everyone is like you, you treat everyone the same. And I think what you've brought about is the importance of how that understanding can add a richness to our own interactions. So I'll let Jamit uh, take it over from here.
0: Yes, perfect. It was, it was quite an interesting uh, one, Amrish. And um, looking at uh, how you're bringing uh, this, what I spoke about, the yin and yang of entrepreneurship, the kind of way you're looking at uh, the toasterization of software. <laughs> I thought is interesting. Uh, the... Ability to be anywhere around the world and add value to an organization and this arbitrage in the financial markets. I think what you're saying is quite interesting. If I were to draw one line across all of it, to me, it is the rationalization of irrationality. A lot of what I see around me, and uh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm in a room right now with two entrepreneurs. And to me, it's, it's an irrational decision the base, everything is stacked against you and you still get, end up doing it. You've brought so much rationality to it. The ability for you to look at it and say, okay, it's nothing but a process. It's nothing but an understanding. It's nothing but some of the psychology to it. And if you're able to bring this steady line to this wave that's coming in, I think there is a lot of value there. I think it's been amazing. I have learned a lot, Amrish. Thanks a lot for being with us and any last words amrish from your side no I, I, the 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 i
2: learned by uh, my conversa- you know reading books and and my conversation with people like you and uh, rajesh um, really this is um, this is the, 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 this is a journey you know things evolve things will continue to evolve and i'm quite happy and excited about uh, being on this and uh, get an opportunity to talk with you guys and many people um, that you know I think once this video got get uploaded many people that that I'll end up interacting with as well
0: yes absolutely thanks a lot you've been an absolute hippo brain for us thank you for being on hippo brain and the audience thank you for watching hippo brain you can subscribe to hippo brain on youtube or wherever you get your podcast we're there on most of the channels and uh, we look forward to many such more conversations a lot of you guys have reached out, liked, shared, continue to subscribe, continue to share the knowledge. We get all much smarter when we share and we have collected love. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Rajiv. Thanks, Jeremy.